Are you ready to change your life, your mind, and change the way you see your world? Well, this is the Minds Gym Podcast with myself, Brandon Bickmore, your turbo lover. And here we go. Hey guys, this is Brandon Bickmore, your Turbo Lover. This is the Minds Gym Podcast. Here to uh, listen to some beautiful minds and uh, hear some amazing stories from my buddy Greg Godfrey. This will be part two. I want to thank Greg for uh, sharing his uh, thoughts and time with us. And uh, hopefully you guys uh, can see there is a way out of uh, suffering from uh, your anxiety and depression that shows up in our lifetimes. Uh, Greg's uh, been amazing to work with over the last few years. More recently, the last few months, um, he's been willing to, you know, question some of his uh, traumatic experiences, and I think what he's finding is a completely new perspective on life. So, uh, appreciate you guys all listening. Please uh, subscribe to the podcast. And thank you again, Greg. And I'm sure you guys will enjoy part two of Greg Godfrey. It's classic. So peace out, your turbo lover. Enjoy. We're going into the night for the first time at the 400, 500 mile mark. And we got through it pretty quick. Crashed a few times, nothing, nothing drastic. And I'm coming... You know, this is the moment where I, I saw God. <laughs> mm. There was a couple moments, but this was the first one. Um, Trav's pulling out on me. I'm trying to just stay consistent, be on the bike. I get outside of San Ignacio. There's nobody around, and I was scared to death the, the trophy trucks were going to come up on me. Those are the big, monstrous, you know, F1-style off-road tra- trucks. And I don't see anything, don't see anything. I, I keep thinking I'm hearing something. And I mean, at this point, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. I've been awake for almost 24 hours on that motorcycle. I'm seeing, I mean, it's like Dr. Seuss land. Things are coming alive. Cactuses are moving around. And things are jumping out in front of me that aren't jumping out in front of me. I'm losing my mind a little bit. This truck comes down alongside of me. I'm at a buck 10. He's at a buck 40. Blows by me. It was Kurt LeDuc. And I don't know why this happened. You know, maybe it was to needed to be, but my light goes out. Second he goes by me, my light blows out. And so I'm following his lights in the dust, uh, you know, in the desert. Anything could be on the ground, you know. You couldn't see. I couldn't see. And I'm just praying. I can get the bike stopped in time, and I hit something. I kind of fall over. It wasn't a violent crash, but I crashed a little bit. Yeah. And I'm just laying there. I'm like, I honestly didn't know if I was dead or alive. I'm feeling my body, and, you know, you get so delusional and crazy. And, and uh, yeah, and then I'm just like, I don't know what to do. I don't even know. I, I'm done problem solving. My mind's melted. Toast. And, and the truck took off, and there's no one around. It's completely silent again. And I see this little Mexican come out of the bushes, splashing his light at me, and he's speaking Spanish, and I'm mumbling something Italian-Spanish back to him, and 
he takes me over to his camp that was just over this little rise, and he's got a little camp. You know, he's a fisherman from the Pacific side, and he just, you know, it's like you always say, you know, it just, just don't panic. It, it'll just come. This is a good example of that. And they fed me an empanada. I just said, will you wake me when the sun comes up? Because my bike was still running fine. It was just the light was dead. Hmm. So the sun came up in about, it was probably got about 45 minutes to 50 minutes of, of a nap. That made all the difference. Really? All the difference. Because I was able to rest for a little bit. I wouldn't have done it. It's like Travis, you know, yeah. he's like, I'm not resting. I'm not resting. That little bit of rest, I, you know, my crew didn't really know what was going on, where I was at. I was trying to communicate through sap phones. And, you know, my wife's at home. All she sees is this red dot, and it stopped. Hmm. You know, that's what she's following down the peninsula, and it stopped. Yeah. She doesn't know anything. Wow. And um, my kids didn't know. I finally make it back to our first, uh, another pit at 10 o'clock in the morning. I, the, they woke me up right as the sun came up, took off, and I felt rejuvenated. Wow. And, you know, Travis, I'm just like, this. He's, I know, he's, I could feel it. He's just pushing too hard. He's going to get hurt. Something's going to happen. And we'd pulled out almost, I think it was like four or five hours on the rest of the field, you know, just because I'm trying to hang with him, but he's mm-hmm. killing me. Sure. And so he, he's pushing, pushing, pushing. So about 4 o'clock the next day, so we'd been awake for 30, what had that been, about 32 hours at that point. I mean, on a motorcycle, that's like driving from Salt Lake City to Dallas, Texas, nonstop off-road. It's insane. Yeah, or, or going to Calgary, Canada from Salt Lake. So it's, it's a long distance. And, and trying to do it in 40 hours, it's like, I mean... I, I can't even believe we did it. You just kind of keep breaking down the miles. So Travis gets in, and sometimes you get stuck behind people in the dust, and it's just miserable. So he was stuck behind some guy through these silt beds in this one section, and it was getting dark, and he didn't want to take, he did not want to be behind this guy. So he went for it in a silt bed, and he said that the bike just disappeared in the silt bed, and he went over the handlebars. It's like, like it's hard to describe what this silt is, but it, the bike was buried. It was lost in the silt, and he's out there digging through it finds it, pulls it out, can't get it started, calls calls his mechanic, his mechanic comes over, and they can't get the bike started. Mm-hmm. So here's the little Greg, you know, it's the tortoise and hare just creeping up on him, creeping yeah. up on him, creeping up on him. And TP's like, I don't want to deal with his crap. He's going to, you know, yeah. just rub it in. So he just took up, packed up, took off. And I came into the section where he was, where I knew where he was, and he's gone. And I'm like, all right, I guess, you know, here we go. And I had about, from that point, I had another 300 miles, I think, to the finish. Or no, no, it, was, it would have been 250 miles. So I'm just pounding away, and, and uh, I mean, it just got really desperate. There was another part where I had a full mental breakdown at, like, the 30, 38-hour mark. And I came up over this rise, and, uh, you know, I thought that I was going to, because we went all the way to Cabo, so it was Ensenada to Cabo, and... And I thought I was going to see Cabo, and I didn't see it. And I thought I was lost, and I didn't know what was going on. And, you know, I, my GPS is broken. I just didn't know where I was at. Nobody was coming. There's no one around me. There's not another truck. There's nothing. And I pull it, pulled it back together, and I just kept telling myself, you know, if I can't go any further, just go what I can go. If I can only go 10 feet, go 10 feet. If I can go, you know, 20 feet, go 20 feet. Just whatever I could do, that's what I would do. And so I went. Like I said, I, I'm, I can ride for another 15 minutes. And I rode for another 15 minutes. 
I couldn't hold on to the bike. I couldn't move. I was just, my arms were shot and my head was shot. And, and I get up on top of this rise and there's one of the pits for the McMillans, one of the big trophy truck teams. And he puts his arm around me and he goes, you got 10 miles. You've done it. Wow. So it was pretty cool. I, I couldn't even believe it. Like I was, it was so spent, you know, so emotional. And I get down, um, I come into the finish line. It was kind of anticlimactic. And they, Sal grabbed me, the guy that's the, um, the guy, the promoter. And he just says, you are the iron rider. He goes, you've done what no other human being on this earth has done, Greg. And, you know, when he starts saying stuff like that, or I, I just, I couldn't even believe it had happened. I called my wife. I told her that I was safe, talked to my kids. Um, it was a real special time. Anyway, God, I'm such a baby. Um, <laughs> no, you're a man, it. bro. Yeah. You're it's, a man. Real men cry. Yeah. Get choked up about it. But it's all good. I'm, uh, so I wrote a script about that particular thing, and then we're in Red Bull has picked it up to be their first narrative launch, narrative project. So what that means is it's their first regular film they've yeah. ever done, storytelling film with actors and so forth. And so uh, we're redoing one more rewrite on it, and we've got a bunch of different actors involved in it and studios and just trying to get it done. It's awesome. So did you wrote the script? So it's going to be a movie now, right? Uh, eventually, but you wrote the script. I did. Basically, and you've been working on it for... Five years. Five years. And you told me last week you kind of got uh, a little bit frustrated with it. Maybe I shouldn't do this. And then all of well, a sudden something lit the fire again. You decided to finish the script. I'll tell you, this again, this is a real personal side, but why not, you know? Um, I was... Because I'd, I'd gone through the divorce, and Shelly was a big part of that movie, and she was fighting me on it, and she wanted a bunch of money off the movie, and mm -hmm. and it was just like, I'm going to bury this. I don't I don't care enough, you know? It doesn't matter. It's a, it was just the, the struggle we all go through, right? The struggle in Baja to get the race done, the struggle to get the script right, written, and then to try and get the movie produced. And then I've got my ex-wife fighting me on it. And, you know, just divorce, it sucks, and you fight over stuff, and... And uh, I was just going to bury it. My son-in-law grabbed me and he said, Greg, please don't. He goes, my grandchildren need to know this story. Yeah. It's awesome. So that's why I stuck it out with it. So we'll see what happens. It's so cool. It's not done yet, but we're, we're pretty yeah. close. Huh. So hopefully when we chatted last week or so, you thought it'd be maybe 18 months to two years? I think, I think we can get it done. Mm -hmm. It'd get it at least shooting it within within six or seven months. And they'll call it the Iron Rider, mm -hmm. you believe? That'd be the name of the show? Yeah. yeah. That's what Sal Fish, I don't know why he called that instead of Iron Man, he called yeah. it Iron Rider. Yeah. And so we looked it up and we were able to get that name. Was that the race um, that, didn't you say one guy said, make sure you stop and look around? Yeah. Was that on the Baja or was that a different race? No, that was Baja. That was, excuse me. Well, that guy say to you. So this is this is such a Brandonism. I'll say, you know, this is something you would do. His name was Neil Neil Greider. Is Andy Greider's father, and Andy Greider is like a, a a Baja legend. He's won it a couple times. He's a great guy, and Neil was a 
you know, he's kind of like the, the, the Burgess Meredith figure in Rocky. What's his name? Mick. Mick. Mickey. He's kind of the Mickey character. Yeah. He's, and he grabs me and he, he's like, I was really nervous about it. I was going in and riding this section and he, he grabs me and he goes, you're going to go up over the top of this summit. And it's like 10,000. We hadn't pre-ran it, so I didn't really know I was, go- I was going. And he said, you're going to be at about, you know, 8,000, not 10,000, but about 8,000 feet. He goes, I want you to stop and just look around and just be grateful that you get to do this, that you get to experience this. And he goes, how fortunate are we that we get to do this in life? Yeah. And I think that's, since that moment, I did. I stopped, you know, I'm in the middle of a race. I didn't care. I stopped and looked around, and, and I think that's the moment I fell in love with Baja. Really? That's pretty cool. Yeah. You said that. And for listeners of you out there, so here's Travis Pastrana, freaking badass motocross rider, tough, mentally, physically strong young kid, and uh, he didn't finish that race, right? Nope. So, because you said he lost his bike in the silt, but you weren't clear on whether... Yeah, is he, that where he lost his bike? Yeah, it was done. And he gave he up. Was, he was at 1,000 miles, and, yeah. and he... But he was spent. He was shot. Yeah. You said, tell us what he said, how exhausted he was. He just, he, we were sitting there and, and my, my wife took care of, she flew down to Cabo and ended up taking care of us for three days. Travis and I just slept the whole time, but we, we'd get up go eat. And, you know, we were like crippled human beings working our way in there. And he just, it was a cool, pretty rad little moment between he and I. And he looks over at me and he goes, he goes, no other human being will ever understand what we just went through. And he goes, Greg, that's one of the gnarliest things I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Coming from Travis, that yeah. meant a lot to me. So. Yeah. Kids like... He's you know, the man. He is the man <laughs> on a motorcycle, right? Yeah. On a motorbike. Yeah. He's just a daredevil. He's good at everything. So. Yeah. It's cool. Cool to hear from him, and he couldn't finish it, and you did. And how much older are you than Travis? What am I, 10 years? 10 years? More than that. No, I'm more than that. I'm like 15 years older than him. No, not that much. 13. You still communicate with him often? I don't talk to him as much, but I talk to him. You still do? Yeah. You guys are still tight? Yeah. I, you know, Travis is a, always be a friend. Yeah. What's he up to nowadays? He's raising those kids. I think yeah. that's his focus. He's got, he's, he can't stop. Really? You know, but it's all about his girls. Yeah. Cool. Right on. So tell us about the couple other races. What about the race? Uh, Willie mentioned the race. Um, I can't remember where it was, but uh, where you got lost, sort of, or ran out of gas. And, um, and when Willie was there? No. He just said that he told me about the race, and I made the note, but the note's not. It was because I ran out of gas a lot. I don't know exactly which one that is. It was in. Um, let's see. The Harrisburg race. Oh, it was Romania. Romania. What <laughs> happened with that race? <laughs> I'm always down for a good adventure, right? And Romaniacs is like the most adventurous race, like motorcycle race, besides Dakar, maybe and Baja. But it's different. It's a different because you're in the middle of villages and in the Carpathian Mountains, and you know you're next to all these farmers. And I was, I was at the top of these mountains, and you're in and out. Like it's it's 
it'd be like driving to the, or riding to the top of Lone Peak from Draper. You know, you drive up over the top of Lone Peak, cross the top of the whole Wasatch Front, drop down into Heber, go across the Uintas, and then back to Heber, you know, maybe go over to Duchesne and then back to Heber. That's one day. That's what it was like over there. And so it's kind of that, it's a little more rural than, I mean, there's wolves and stuff up, up there. We were attacked by, or almost attacked by wolves one night. And uh, so what's the race exactly? How called, long is it? It's called Romaniacs. It's, it's like a thousand kilometers, but it's, it's a stage race. It's not like Baja where Baja is a point point where it's nonstop. It's just get through it. It's so American, right? It's, fo- uh-huh. it's as fast as you can in, in least amount of time. Okay. And that, that's more European, more sophisticated, a little more of a chess match where you're, your stages, so you run certain stages through the day with special challenges and so forth. I got you. So it was a different style. Okay. And as far as I had known at that point, nobody had raced Romaniacs besides American besides me. So I went over and I was so out of my element. Cyril Dupre is helping me get through this, but I'm by myself at the top of these mountains. The sun's going down, and I'm just like, I'm screwed. You know, that my light was broken. I didn't have any fuel. That was out of fuel. I didn't know where I was at. And I come up. I came up on a uh, small little cabin, and I knock on the door, and the people, the people fed me, and I stayed in their little cabin. <laughs> Just sweet, sweet, nice people, Romanian, you know, living up in the mountains. And I said through our different, sp- different languages, you know, trying to understand and communicate with these people. I finally told them I needed fuel. So the guy makes me take him on my motorcycle up into the trees. And I don't know what, you know, this could be deliverance where I'm, what they're sending me into. And we get up in there and, and sure enough, they had fuel stashed for their chainsaws because they were, they were woodcutters and they had it stashed up in there. And then he just gave me, and I know it was precious to him. Really? Yeah. And he gave me two liters of fuel to get me back to the, how'd you run out of gas? I got lost. So you were lost. Yeah, I was. I I think I was on the race course at that point, but I I'd got lost and I just ate up more fuel and oh. I didn't know what I was doing. Really, nobody told me. I just got on the bike and went for it. Started going. That's how you learn, right? Yeah. Trial and error. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can ride a bike, so. <laughs> That's crazy. It was that was an adventure. Yeah, and then um, was. Uh, what was the so was Harrisburg in Romania or is that a di- separate? It's a, race? a different race. Different race. Harrisburg's like it's it's twenty six twenty five miles, but it's just in one day. You get five hours to go through this course, and it's in a mine, uh-huh. like Kennecott. Yeah, and it's so drastic and crazy, and it's it's just suffering. Really? The whole time it's just suffering, you know. And how long is it? It's only five hours. Where yeah. Romaniacs at that time was seven days. Every day is just you just got to the point. Where it's like, just bring it on. Whatever it is, I'll, I'll fi- as long as the bike keeps running, I'll figure yeah, it out. You'll go. So do you have support crew and all that for these yeah, races? KTM would um, always help us out, supply all that. They were great. Mm. So what made you want to go do all these races around the world? I was good at suffering. I mean, I tell you, from those wrestling days, it was like I was, it was older. I thought my career was over, you know. Mm-hmm. I didn't think that at 33 years old, I was going to revitalize my motorcycle career I thought it was done and here I was at you know it was amazing yeah. what I mean I raced Harrisburg five times finished it four times and you know I finished if anybody knows that race I finished the best I ever did was 18th but it doesn't sound like much but man that was that's a hard race 
Yeah. Any, anybody that's done it, like Colton Haker and Cody Webb are our best Americans, and I think they've finished. I almost beat Jeremy McGrath, the king of Supercross, the one year at Ayersburg. Really? Which I don't stand a chance racing McGrath anywhere else. But Right. Um, yeah, Cody Webb, I think, took second, and Haker's gotten, I think, his best he's done is seventh. Hmm. Travis, the best he's ever done is tenth at that race. So. Really? So it's just brutal. It's in your face. It just doesn't. It's relentless. It's just the the obstacles and how you're trying where you're taking that bike and across rocks and up ruts, rut it out. You know, it's <clears throat> really wooded, and so it's wet, and so yeah. there's kinds of uh, ruts and it's steep and it's moist and it's just super difficult to get traction and it's super difficult to get over the rocks and it's super difficult to. Some of these downhills are just straight cliffs. Hmm. You're just holding on for dear life and hoping you get down it. And if you go down, I mean, you go down because there's boulders everywhere and hmm. tears you up. And the Romaniacs is a little worse because if you go down out there, you're super. It's like Baja. You're isolated and, or Dakar. And, yeah. But that's what I love is motorcycles. You know, and I've been super, super fortunate, kid from Utah, to to be able to do that stuff. Yeah. What does all that stuff? All those experiences and all that, what it's like, what does that teach you about you or you about life? What have you learned from from that hobby that you turned into a or in that sport hobby that you turned into a you know, a business? What did you learn from it all? Well from the business side of it I learned that you just gotta be creative. I think Albert Einstein was the one that said imagination is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. It is. Besides, you know, knowing numbers and having, you know, whatever, it's it's the imagination to dream it up and then get people to to be able to understand it, the storyline. And so from the business standpoint, the entertainment side, it's that. I think that was the most beautiful thing for me to connect with an audience, you know, and mm-hmm. make it digestible to everybody, to five-year-old kids, to 10-year-old kids, to... 30-year-old moms to 20-year-old moms and, you know, grandpas. and So that's the business side of it. The racing side of it, um, I just love the fact that I think I can endure more pain than most human beings on the face of this earth, and I'm proud of that. Yeah. And I like it. Yeah. I mean, I don't like suffering, but I like, I like at the end of the day feeling like it's kind of a masochist a bit, but you feel like you've done something. Yeah. Mm. I like that feeling. And it, and there was, and I was, I love motorcycles. I love, I love riding. It's just, it's this, it's, I've been fortunate that I've have such a passion for filmmaking and motorcycle riding. And I've been able to, to put the two together. Yeah. As I get older, it's like, you know, I think my focus has changed, but I st- I'm still about adventure. It's all about adventure. It's not necessarily on a motorcycle, but whatever it is to create adventure and to have other people experience and be thrown into that adventure where they find out something new about themselves. Yeah. You'd be amazed at what you can endure and what you can do when you're forced to do it. Yeah. Yeah. You got no other way out, right? Sure. Got to figure it out, right? And it's not worth... And if they can get out there on a motorcycle or whatever and Mm -hmm. realize that there's a way out, maybe they won't put a gun to their head. Sure. You know, maybe they won't take those pills. Maybe they won't do this crap that, you know, everybody's getting caught up in. So that's where I find myself nowadays. Yeah. That's where I find a lot of your enjoyment, right, out in the world. You you take dudes, too, out on little adventure rides, and you put together little rides weekly, 
whatever, right? A little week. What is it, three, four days? Depends. You do it like once a year, twice a year? Uh, I Sometimes more than that. I mean, recently, just because going through this divorce, it hasn't been much. But, yeah, we're taking a group down to Baja uh, for four days in 1st of February. So I'm going to be down there. I'm going to take two groups out. And these guys, you know, they're all very successful businessmen. And um, this is different. You know, this is this is more about they're just you know it's going down there to have fun and, and enjoy ourselves and sure. but they always come out of there feeling better about who they are and where their their place is in life. They always you cannot do that oh. and not feel better about who you are as a human being. I've never seen sure. it happen oh, yeah. ever. You're out there in nature, man. There's nothing wrong with that, and yeah. you kind of check out for three or four days. We get, get out of the real world. Get a little speed. You know, yeah. you scare yourself and a little throttle. Right. Yeah. Realize your mortality's yeah. there throughout yeah. the therapy. Yeah. I'm sure often while you love doing what you do, you stay pretty present when you're writing. Like you got to be focused on like now, right? Yeah. If you're not, you'll when you're out there crash. going 100 miles an hour. Yeah, you're gonna crash. So you're really focused, right? Which I'm sure that's relieving too, right? Because you're not future, present, nothing. You're just focused on the task at hand. Yep. I'm sure that's a lot of the addiction, you know, that you find and. And seeing, you know, in, in adrenaline. And I know I used to do a lot of crazy stuff as a kid, but I think it, there was a little bit of a high there. I'm not sure why I did it. Now looking back, you know, I wanted to be the crazy kid in the neighborhood, but also there's a sense of that that, like, I guess lets you know you're alive, right? It focuses you, for yeah. sure. That's what I, yeah, you're so way. present when you're doing that stuff. You're yeah. so there. You're so, you're feeling everything. Sure. Everything. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. yeah. You cannot be, if you're not in that moment, you will pay the price. Yeah. Yeah. In life, it's easier to, to not focus and worry about the past, the present, mm-hmm. and not be, or not the future and the past. It's so much easier. But if you could take that mentality, like I, this is, this is one of my new philosophies in life. So I, all my friends hate this because I don't really care to plan sure. so much. So I'll go down. I'll do minimal amount planning, get in there, and I always just say, let's figure it out. Willie mm-hmm. hates this. Yeah. But the, to me, that's part of the adventure, and my brother kind of hates it, but mm-hmm. they love it, yeah. you know, and, and because they always find out that it's okay. It always works out. It always works out. And so yeah. if you can take that mentality and apply it in your life, and that's where I find myself, too, nowadays, is it's like I try and take that mentality of, you know, when I'll take off through the desert, I don't worry if I'm going to crash, I don't worry about the bike's going to break. I don't, I just don't worry about it. I don't yeah. worry about, I try and do the best I can planning for fuel and so forth. Sure. But if I run out, I run out. I have to yeah. walk, I have to walk, you yeah. know, and take that same mentality, apply it in your life like you do. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of friends of mine that they're better at that than me. In real life, I struggle with that or you, everyday life. You never know who you're going to meet when you run out of gas, right? Good way to put it. You never know. So what's wrong with running out of gas? Or breaking down. Or breaking down, yeah. Imagine the human beings that show up when you're in need. I, uh, it's, it's fun to watch if you're really paying attention, right? And everything just becomes richer. Look at the human beings you've met on your experiences when you thought you were in a pickle. Met some pretty cool people, right? Yeah. Got some fuel, precious fuel from a guy that... <laughs> The woodcutter you know, in the Romania. The woodcutter, yeah, in Romania. 
And I can't tell you how many Mexicans I bummed off, bum fuel off down in Baja, and they're always yeah. so sweet about it. Yeah. And, and you know, it comes so back cool. around, so I try and be generous when I can yeah. be. And Absolutely. Half the time you try and give them money, and they won't take it. Really? Yeah. Mm. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Like, they don't have anything. Yeah, they just want to help. Yeah. It's so freaking cool. That's why, uh, I don't know, human beings are amazing. But that's the thing about, like, <clears throat> if you can wake up in the morning, like, I think, you know, again, people get frustrated. Um, my, my, my new wife, Chelsea, is so like this, too. She's, she's like me. Like, we do the best we can, but we don't stress it. You know, we, and, and you pay a price for that at times. There's some pain, you know, because of that. But mm-hmm. there's also these beautiful, beautiful things that show up, you know, because you let it work. Yeah. You're not trying to control everything. And it, it usually, you know, there is a God and he cares about us and mm-hmm. he's looking out for us or however you want to call that. Sure. Yeah. Things always fall right into place if you let it be. Yeah. Sometimes when we push it, that's when things go south. Try and control it. Yeah. Can't. No. But we try to. Control, but we think we can. Those of us that are confused think we're controlling and doing it all, but sit back and smell the flowers, right? And you try and control and you run people away from you, too. Yeah. For sure. Um, Talk to me a little bit about your divorce. My, My thought is... Here's this fearless, maniac, daredevil, um, adrenaline junkie that's afraid of nothing, right? Look back on your life and all the crazy things you've done in your life. All sorts of injuries, right? We didn't talk about any of your injuries yet. Or we got to talk about that one wreck, too. But uh, how do you go from being fearless to to getting divorced and that scaring the hell out of you. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it's terrifying. I just never thought it would happen. You know, I thought that, you know, Shelly and I were soulmates and that was that and it wasn't to be. And uh, we have three amazing children. It was absolutely terrifying. I didn't want to lose, you know, when you've, people that have gone through this or had similar things or lost a child or, or what have you. I mean, a myriad of challenges everyone has. But uh, you, it's hard to even get out of bed. You know, you've, for anybody, I'm not, not just me, but for, for Shelly, I think too. And it's just, mm-hmm. why are we doing this? Why is it, it's, it, it's terrifying. You're, you're scared every minute of your life and you've got to find another level of, <clears throat> how to exist at a, in a better place. And so the, I think that that's where the, this work that you're doing would come in and help so much with me. You know, that was, I, I, I thought, you know, as, as, and this is, we were struggling, but I just didn't think there was any way it would come to that. You know, we got back together for a, a month or so. And, and then, uh, you know, she met this guy, and, and uh, you know, once I learned that, man, you talk about loss of, I just couldn't even understand it. I couldn't understand how, why this is happening, and, and you know, not that I'm innocent, 
I wasn't innocent in the in the situation, but terrified, just absolutely terrified of the future, terrified of losing her. Um, but then you realize, like, you know, and and you know, I I just truly believed like it was all eternal, mm-hmm. and it's not. You know, it's just done, and it's this. It shatters your whole paradigm, so it's terrifying. Everything about it's terrifying, mm-hmm. you know. And I know when Tanner went through his accident, it's like I was really struggling a couple of days, and and I, there there were days where I couldn't get out of bed. And for some reason, Tanner was at my house working on something. I don't know, working, you know. The, they're always messing around on the side there, and uh, he saw that I was I was I was in a tough place, and he. Coming from him, you know, this is my nephew that was paralyzed. Um, he just goes, Greg, he goes, you just got to find a reason to to get up. You know, and I, and I referred back to Baja. I referred back to, you know, I'll just go 10 more miles. I'll go one more mile. I'll go a half a mile. Whatever I can do, that's what I'm going to do. And, and try and figure out how not to be scared, how to figure out how to function without her, figure out how to hold my family together, my kids, and... Um, deal with another man in the picture now, you know? I mean, that just sucks. And um, and not tear his freaking head off, you know, and be a civil human being about it because it's her choice. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I just, it's just all of it's scary. Just thinking about it, even talking about it right now, it's just like my, it, it all comes back. Mm. But it's my story mm-hmm. and you have to reframe that. And, um Chelsea's freaking fantastic at helping keep my mind straight on that. Um, she's she's constantly challenging me of being present, of being with her, um, of accepting. You know, I, I don't accept failure very well at all. Mm-hmm. It's something I've learned about myself is like, I will go to the depths of hell to not fail. Yeah. And to me, divorce is failure. Was. Was. Not I'm anymore. Say, is it? <laughs> no. No, it's not anymore, but it, it's what I used to think. Yeah. I think it's just another transition. You thought you failed your wife and kids maybe or something? Yeah, I failed her. And, and she made it very clear that I failed her, you know, and over and over and over again. And, and it's like, sorry about that. It's my phone. But I... Uh, and did you fail her is the question. No. No, really? she, she, I, I definitely screwed up, but as does everybody. Right. She just wanted out. I think she was done with the whole lifestyle too. You know, I have to accept certain things as they are. Like, like my lifestyle is grueling for a woman. Yeah. It's tough. I mean, Shelly's watched me almost kill myself, not on purpose, but. Sure. You know, one time she thought for sure I was dead. I crashed yeah. up at Powder Mountain and she watched the whole thing and I, you know, it's unfair. Mm-hmm to put your spouse through that. She's heard doctors come out and say he's not going to make it. and um, You know, I'm going to be a vegetable. I'm going to have trauma. I'm going to be paralyzed. I've got a shattered pelvis. You know, we're on family vacations having a good time, and all of a sudden I get mangled, and, you know, everything changes. And I'm not saying it was easy on her. Um, sure. But, and, and my son, you know, we almost lost Chandler like five times. Yeah. Not necessarily because of our lifestyle, but maybe because of my choices. Um, it's just, it was really hard. And I think, you know, she wanted, 
not to get into that. I don't know what she wanted, but she wanted something that was a little more predictable than that. Yeah. And Chelsea, like I say, she she's not worried about that. Yeah. She's not worried about control. She's not worried about it being predictable. She's so so in this transition in your life, you know, I'm trying to have acceptance and love and caring and and trying to I want to teach my kids that there's, you know, I'm the first one, and, and, and I'm embarrassed about this. I'm the first one in my family to be divorced, and um, it sucks. And, and people look down on you, and, you know, they don't know. And I, I, it's a good thing is I don't really care what people think. I charge through it anyway. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, Shelly took off. She just ran away. She went and started a new life. She just took took the money and started a new life, and I stayed you know, to give my kids stability. I stayed and fought through it. I fought through the difficulties. I fought through the people, everybody questioning. And it's terrifying. It's just a whole new phase. I think once I get past this, and probably in 10, 15 years, I'll look back and say, oh, it's nothing. Yeah. But it's just my chapter, what I'm going through now. And hopefully I can utilize all that experience. You know, Travis and I used to talk about this. Mm-hmm. What makes the best writers is we're both way into writing because that's how you have to tell stories. That's where it initiates, right? Sure. And so what makes the best writers are the people that have lived through these experiences. And I've lived through a lot of this stuff. So when I write it, it's there. It's for real. And people and it, it, people know I'm not lying. There's no way I'm faking this on paper, you know? And so getting it from that point and getting the product project made and then telling the story, it's all really real and raw and honest and... And so I, the more I take these life experiences, and Travis would always tell me, take it and utilize it. You know, and I'd tell him the same thing. It's like, use it. Yeah. You know, Travis would get stuck in these crazy scenarios, and it's like, use it. Hmm. Use it. And so I think as I go through this second part of my, as I say that, it's like this meridian of my life. I didn't think I'd be alive at 50. <laughs> but taking the, the wisdom that I've gained from this divorce and, and you know, trying to show my kids that there's a way through this. Um, and, and by no means, I'm not saying my ex-wife's a bad person. She's not. She's a good person. She's just got, she's got her path she's going on in life right now, and it's her choice. But unfortunately, it, it is her choice, and people, you come up against that at, at times, and when people make choices, all of a sudden you're stuck with those consequences of it. And that's, is that the way I look at it, you know? And is, is that, that's not really helpful. So that's what you've been helping me is look at it and say, is that the right way? Is it, you know? Yeah. There, was one, there was an interesting one I said that um, on, on one of these worksheets, it was the second question last time we did one, and you and I was, you know, I was doing it on my ex-wife because I was really struggling with her at the time, and uh, I said, uh, you know, I wish she would stop meddling in everybody's lives, and and you know, you if you've ever done one of these, you flip that, turn and it around, turn it around, and bottom line was it's like, you know, Greg needs to stop it and quit meddling in everybody's life, and that's exactly what I was doing. Sure. I didn't really realize it, but that yeah. worksheet kind of helped me see that. I'm learning. Squares you up. We all are, bro. Baby steps. Yeah. Tell 50 us. years old. Yeah, <laughs> and still learning. Maybe just starting to learn. Yeah, right? like that anyway. Yeah, and that 
capacity. Tell us a little bit about Tanner's experience when he wrecked. Were you there? I wasn't. I, w- I was still in Baja. I just The race, I just completed it. So he was, it was during uh, Thanksgiving, and I was just coming home. And uh, it was 07, and he, he, my brother crashed in the same section. It's really weird. The same part of the track is the day before Scott crashed. So where were they? They were at Mesquite, and it was this uphill section, and it had these square edge bumps in it. They would buck you straight into the hill. Was it a race, or they were just on a track? No, it was a race. It was a race, and Scott crashed and drilled his head. So when the way the bike was tossing them, it stuck their head, and there was nowhere for the body to go. So all the pressure went right through the spine. Mm -hmm. Scott did it, broke his back. Uh, the day before, so I get a phone call. And, and it was like a jump? It was a hill, well, or what happened? It was just happened? a hill. It's just these weird square edge bumps that would pop them up over the front of the bike. And it would just launch you into The hill. Like, you'd be leaning hill. forward thinking, yeah. you know, or your You're body. Go through it. Yeah, and it yeah. would just toss you weird. So I caught Scott. I get a phone call from my mom, and I knew it was bad news. And I said, Scott's in the hospital. He's broke his back. And Scott's an old fat bastard. Like, I'm worried that he can survive anything, you know, because he's unhealthy as I'll get out. But he was, so, you know, you worry that he's going to heal, right? There's nothing severe, but he's just going to heal, right? And then the next day, I get a call from my mom, and I knew it was really bad. And she said, Tanner broke his back. Uh, they're life lightning to Salt Lake. And what had happened. If you've ever had gone through a spinal injury, he he shattered his T6 and T7 and because the compression, same thing, he drove his head in, and the compression had nowhere to go except through the spine, and it just blew it apart. It wasn't like, you know, it ripped the spinal cord or anything. It just blew his vertebrae apart. And so all yeah. the, sh- the bone shatters go into the spine and, and into the spinal cord, and that thing is so delicate. It's got so many gazillion nerves running through it and so forth, and... Um, but it wasn't severed, you know? So that was what we kept hearing. And he had feeling in his legs, had feeling in his legs. And then as the swelling, you know, continues to get worse and worse, it shuts off, you know, any kind of blood flow to those bottom portions, if I'm getting this right, to the bottom portion of his body. And then if that happens, it kills the nerves and it's done. You know, you're, you're, you're done. And it was happening. So he gets up, he had feeling, gets up to Salt Lake and it's gone. And so here was that journey, you know, and I'm watching Stacy and Scott go through this, and it was like, oh, my gosh, you know, and we, we almost lost our son in a fire, you know, three years earlier to that. Or no, yeah, three, three years earlier to that, it was horrific. And I think that was another thing that just about killed my ex-wife. My, you know, she's tough, but that was a... That was a hard one because he he was 10 days into it and he was in an ICU, the burn unit up there. He's five years old. Mm -hmm. He just looks like a swollen cucumber, you know, and he's he's on a ventilator and they're keeping him alive. They've got him in a deuce coma. And the doctor came in at the 10-day mark and said he's not going to make it. So, you know, she'd gone through, we'd gone through that trauma and fought through it. And then we get into this with Tanner and we kind of knew, you know, just it was at the U, same place almost. And and uh, I just said, this is going to be a long haul, you know, long haul. And I called all my friends, like at KTM and, and Red Bull. They, they have a spinal 
research thing called Wings for Life that his this my really good friend at KTM, his son was paralyzed. So I was just like, what am I expecting? And he goes, it's it's a long haul. Don't expect that he's going to walk. You know, that's it's more than likely it's done. And, you know, there was a lot of just, just grueling. And I watched my brother and my sister-in-law, and they just handled it so well. Scott... <clears throat> Scott was, he just was a trooper. And he, um, he just, he kept, he was just really optimistic and he was, he was keeping his family together and he just would stay, he was just a strength for them. And I, I admired that. So you fight through this, and, um, you know, Tanner wasn't getting any better. His, his, uh, there's a lot, there's a lot worse things that people go through in life, you know, cancer, and they lose people, and, you know, lose, they lose sip, or children, and so forth. This wasn't anything that was, like, going to risk his life. We had him but it was just trying to understand what this meant. And I think in some ways it was like Tanner was the, the perfect one. If it's going to go bad, it went really good because he's the right one to go through this kind of a challenge because he's the only one. He's so bloody stubborn. Like, he's so stubborn. He's still that way. And he was stubborn as a kid. You couldn't tell him what to do in the second he you told him what to do. So... You know, when, when he all of a sudden is told he's never going to walk again, exactly what he's going to do. He's like, watch me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and there's been a lot of people that, that I deal with that have had this accident. There's, there's one just recent in the nitro world that, you know, he's regained. He was, should have been a paraplegic, and he's regained a lot of movement. He's not 100%, but he's doing pretty good. And he's riding again. And Tanner all of a sudden started riding. He started riding his bike. He had zero movement in his leg. He's just overriding his system. Mm-hmm. It's just pure will. Yeah. If you ever see him at the treehouse or whatever, it's <laughs> pure I've will. I've seen him. Kid's amazing. He just, he just, you know, he gets on his canes and, and he doesn't want anybody feeling sorry for him. Okay. He works out every day because if he misses a day, it, it really puts him back, you know? So he's just so dedicated. Man, he's so dedicated. So when Tanner t- told me, when I was going through this divorce, and he pulled me aside, and he says, you just can't sit there and feel sorry for yourself. Yeah. What do you say to yeah, him? Yeah, what do you say? Like, he's right. Yeah. And I know he did. He had times where he did, but he didn't let it get at the best of him. Yeah. So here we are, you know, what is it, 12? What was that, 12, 13 years ago? And, you know, Tanner married a beautiful, beautiful girl this last summer. Yeah. He's moving on with his life, and he's, you know, he's, he's got options. My brother's done well in life, and, and um, it, it, requ- it gives them a lot of options, and, and they, they are smart enough to take those, those opportunities. And, you know, Tanner's out there at, at the truck yard helping, you know, build buildings and do a lot of stuff he runs a lot of equipment and he's managing a lot of the stuff and he's just learning how to 
I'm sure he'll take that over, but he's got a good life. Yeah, kid seems like a hard worker. Gets the gym every morning at six or seven, yeah. right? Well, his, his, Fires right his up. His new wife gets him there at like, I think five now, because really? she's got to be at school. So, wow. Yeah, he's a machine. And he works every day, right? Yeah. And then he just flew a damn razor. How far did he jump that razor? Like, the went, kid's still crazy. He went 262 feet. Yeah. And and you got to understand that that world record he just did. That jump has claimed that that was magical. Was one of the guys off the nitro thing. He was. It ruined him, you know. He's trying to do that jump. He broke his neck, and that's why he was basically a paraplegic for a little while. He's getting movement back. And then there was another guy, Al Macbeth, that just nobody could get that distance. Really? And Tanner got it. So So how did he figure that out? Uh, Travis and, and, you know, Chandler and I built the jump, but Travis, he Ch- Tanner's done it enough. He knows kind of the ratio of what's going on. But Travis helped out to help us get through, and, and Ken Block, you know, they've jumped a lot of cars and where or what to do, and Travis, you know, I think he's gone to something in his rally car, to maybe 300, Ken's gone, you know. So that, so we, we were picking brains of those people, and Red Bull helped with some of the, you know, the, the statistics or how they do it mathematically, bring it together. And and then the diesel guys, you know, Sparks and, and Diesel Dave gave Tanner that shot. It's amazing. It was cool. Yeah. It was a good opportunity for him, and I was happy to see him achieve that. You know? Yeah. Especially to be able to still, you know, after having a crazy accident like that and still knowing what's ahead of you and what could happen, and he's like, screw it. Well, and it, again, you go watch these other crashes, and it was horrific. We were sitting there, and we had issues with the wind and the weather all week, and it was horrible circumstances, and, and it's just terrible. And, and Tanner's like, I was one sending him off down there, and we and we really had like a thirty second window, really whether to send him in, and and they finally just gave it to me, mm-hmm. and I'm like go, and Tanner's looking at me, and I I think he truly came to conclude, you know, like you kind of have to do that when you're doing stunts, like what's the worst thing that can happen? Mm-hmm. Well, I could roll and eat crap. Can I deal with that? Yeah, I can, and he did. Mm-hmm. He had dealt with that worst case scenario happening, and him being okay with it, and then. You know, he fought through it. If he wasn't so freaking beefy upstairs, you know, with his upper body from all the lifting and everything, I don't. I think the car would have flipped. He fought. You know, it hit sideways and he fought through it. Yeah. If you watch that, yeah, the landing was a little crazy. Yeah, it was a little rodeo. It's hard to do in a side by side. That car's so that little. Far. It's just kicking all over, and Polaris has those uh, that automatic suspension on it, so it's helps uh, a bit. It was well. No, it made it worse because it was adjusting. You oh, know, really? As it would, yeah, it would stiffen and harden, and we were trying to undo it, and it screwed the whole car up. And so, mm-hmm. we just, he just went for it. Typical Godfrey way. It's unbelievable. You wonder uh, if you'll ever slow down. I think if you do, you're, you're, you know, I think we all live by that mantra, like. Even if you stop working and so forth, it's just like it just you you, you can't do that. Hmm. Just die, right? Right. There's too much life to be lived. Keep rolling. Uh, walk us through a little bit. When you broke your pelvis, where were you and what happened? Um, I was in I was in Brisbane, Australia, and we were just starting. I think our fourth year of doing our live tour, third or fourth year, and we'd introduced a loop into the mega ramp, and you know. 
Bob Burnquist and Tony Hawk are like the only guys in the world to ever do a loop on a skateboard. And they're like, you know, the people when it comes to the skateboarding and nobody's ever done it on a big wheel. And we're, you know, it's kind of a, a joke, but it's serious. You know, like if you screw up going around this loop on this big wheel, there's heavy consequences. And I watch my son and my nephew just, you know, they're 14 years old and they went through this thing, no problem. I'm like, oh, I can do it because I was just wanting to ride with them during the show. And this is a loop, meaning you're going to go up, upside down, right? Yeah, it's like 18 feet tall, and yeah. you, so you're completely inverted. And a ramp, right? Yeah, but it's, you know, it's inverted. fully connected. Yeah. And I went through it, and I was so used to pulling, like, as I got to the, it felt like I was at the top of the jump, and I don't know, I just brain farted. Mm-hmm. And I pulled back a little bit, and the second I did that, it pulled the front end off the, the rail, basically going around the loop, and it, it threw me out of the loop. And I went out and landed on uh, the concrete, and it just shattered my pelvis. It shattered my pelvis, broke my back, and broke my scapula. So you're like 18 feet in the air? Mm-hmm. Straight to concrete. Straight to concrete. And did you walk away from that accident? Oh, no. <laughs> no. They, they, I, I, was, I, couldn't, I couldn't even. I remember moving my my lower body and and if you've ever broke your pelvis it's like you don't realize that's where all your everything your core comes from and it was just (coughs) it was moving around and and all i could feel was nothing was working you know my legs were were didn't feel attached my body and they're kind of like they wouldn't work and my my body was moving where it never moves you know it was just shifting around and and uh they gave me this thing called a whistle it's like a big dose of morphine, you know, trying to at least take the pain out and uh, throw me in the hospital. And they kept trying to get me up. And finally, the one the one paramedic, I said, something is really wrong. And my nephew came in, Josh, and he goes, if he's telling you there's something wrong, there's something really wrong. Like, he's he's got issues. Mm-hmm. So they took, took me to the ER, and, and they did a scan. They said, we can't find anything wrong. And I said, there's something messed up and they shot me with that if you've ever had that scan done with back and pelvis and that they shoot you with that fluid and then they saw it showed up on the MRI that there was just spider fractures all through my pelvis and I pulled my SI joints apart and so basically my where my sacrum goes into my pelvis it was it was detaching from my bottom half of my body just a silly little thing trying to follow my son around a, a loop and it claimed that slowed me down. That was the crash really? that slowed me down. And is that a good thing you got slowed down or a yeah, bad thing? Yeah, I think it was. I mean, I think for my family's sake. And then there was, and right before that, I was, I was up at Powder Mountain, and I had a crash that was just horrendous. It was the, that was the worst crash of my life. And I, I, I hit the ground, and I, I remember the whole thing. I remember it just shook, shook the ground. I felt like it did, and, and everybody that watched it just said. Willie saw it. He goes, he's dead. Because I hit so hard and I just ragdolled. And, and uh, again, my my ex-wife was sitting there watching the whole thing. Probably another reason she wanted out of there, but um, just the torture of that. But it was, yeah, you know, I almost died on that one. It shattered, uh, or no, it didn't break anything, strange enough. I just, it it poked a hole in my femoral artery. So I was bleeding to death. And how'd you wreck? What happened? I just hit a jump wrong and flew. It 
bounce me up in the air. Like, to, you know, I hit at the end of the jump, which was 15 feet off the ground, and I bounced another 15 feet in the air. So I was like, I don't know, 20 feet off the ground and had all this momentum, and I just slapped hmm. on the ground. Where was that? It was up at Powder Mountain. Hmm. So I, it's not like I want these things to happen. It's just it's just a consequence of these decisions <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> I don't want to be hurt. <laughs> so. uh, maybe you do. No, I don't. No? No. Um, I, like, I like the thrill if you succeed at it. You yeah, know. for sure. The agony of defeat and the, what is it? Thrill of victory. Thrill of victory. <laughs> we were raised on that, right? Yeah. Evil can evil. Uh you mentioned earlier, and you don't have to uh, answer this if you don't want to, but you talked about your boy that um, got burned. Mm-hmm. Do you want to share that experience, or do you not want to share that experience? No, I'll share it. That's it's, a pretty interesting it's part story. Of, it's actually part of the film. I think, Is it? Yeah, it was yeah. a lot of the motivating factor of why I had to succeed in Baja so bad. Yeah, and that's Chandler, right? Yeah, there was so much guilt from that. Chandler yeah. was... Uh, we were in our backyard, and we were, you know... He was five. Five years old, and he was yeah. always with me. Idolized dad, right? You know, he's always with me. He's always at my side, and and we were in the back burning, you know, some branches that we'd cut down or something off a tree, and um, there was... It was in the middle of the day, and I thought the fl- there was no flame. I'd lit it. I thought it went out. I had some gas in a cup, and I, for some reason, you usually just throw the the cup with the gas so it's not there's no way for it to get back on you and I went like I shot it forward and held onto the cup so basically it shot a stream of gas out and then it went right back up into the cup which was in my hand and then it it just happened so fast and I went like I jerked it back on myself threw gas all over me my arms were on fire and then immediately my reaction was to throw the the gas that's on fire on this cup to the side I threw it right on Chandler, and I didn't realize I threw it on him. I'm trying to put the fire out of my arms, and I see him running. I heard him screaming. I heard him, and I looked over, and I saw him running, and he was a flame. Like, his whole body was covered in flames. There was, there was probably a foot of flames coming off the top of his head. His whole front of his face was covered in flames. His body was covered in flames. I, I, didn't, I couldn't even understand what was going on, and I jumped on him, and I'm trying to put him out, and, you know, it, it's just, you know, there's a gazillion things that are running through your head at this time, and, and you know, what's even happening, and, and uh, it, the, I just remember that the fire would not go out. The gas would not go out on him, and I'm watching his face on fire, and I'm trying to put it out, and I grabbed him, and I ran inside the house, I was holding him, and he really wasn't even screaming. But I look at him, and his eyes are wide open, and he's looking at me. And his it was like a cartoon in some ways because his hair's smoking because his hair had been on fire. Mm-hmm. And and I'm like, Shelly, call nine one one, and and uh, um, she she didn't even. She's like, what happened? I said, just call nine one one. And my daughter's sitting there watching. Kinley's watching this whole thing, and. I just said, get in the car. So we threw him in the car. We ran down to Alta View Hospital. And then he started feeling the pain. You know, it started setting in what was... And if you've ever been burned, I mean, his whole body was burned. His face was burned. His chest was burned. His hands were burned. The back of his arm was burned. And 
um, they're, we're trying to knock him out, you know, just so that they can sedate, sedate him to some degree so they can work on him. And then immediately we got him sedated. I had to crawl up on top of him, hold him down, because, the, you know, he was fighting so hard. He was kicking the doctors off of him. And I remember, like, trying to get the needle in his arm, and I remember his flesh coming off in my hands, you know, off mm-hmm. his arms and stuff. And he's just looking at me, and he's like, Dad, why? You know, because he couldn't understand what's going on. And so we get him up to the University of Utah, and, uh, you know, uh, they mean they mean to, they always got to give you kind of the worst-case scenario because that's just the way it works. And my poor, you know, ex-wife at the time, my wife at the time, she was, um, uh, you know, just going through this whole traumatic scenario, and this nurse comes out, and she said, um, I just have to tell you, your son's probably not going to live. If he does live, he's not going to have ears, and he's not going to have a right hand. And, you know, you just don't say that. I, I don't think at, at, at that time. She just, she came undone, you know, and, and rightfully so. And I was just like, what do we do? And, you know, you just try and spring into action and do the best you can. And so after a lot of, like, struggle, and if you've ever been in the burn unit up at the U or anywhere, it is really humbling. While we were there, four people passed away. And I mean, when they bring people in, it is so life-threatening and the tra- trauma of burns. And most of it was from, so parents just be careful, most of it's from kids reaching up and grabbing boiling water and pulling it on themselves. Hmm. And, you know, there was, there's some horrific things too, like parents lighting their kids on fire and just, they're not mentally there. And I mean, I did it, but it wasn't like I did it on purpose, and it was it was an accident. And um, but Chandler nowadays, that was that was he was five years old. He's twenty three. You couldn't tell. Really? Yeah, it's just unbelievable. He's he has a healthy life. He's scarred on his face a little bit, but you can't really tell. You might think there's something, and everything works. You know, he's had a full life. He's raced motorcycles. He's competed in sports. He's, you know. He's had a full life, so fully recovered with no issues, no. pretty much whatsoever. No issues. Wow. Maybe a little scarring psychologically, but yeah. how could you not? But that was the that was the fourth time we almost lost him. Like he's just a super active kid, and he was constantly into stuff. Yeah. So. Wow. It's a crazy experience. Yeah, if you've you've Tough ever been one. through that with your kids, it's just horrific. Yeah, that's not one I've experienced, nor do I want to. Yeah, damn. It, but I think it all builds you, and it's like Chandler's a Chandler's a different human being because of that experience. Yeah. I think you mentioned that before. Yeah, he's he's like uh, he's super compassionate. He's he's thoughtful. He's 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 intuitive into different ways, you yeah. know, into things. So. Special things happen to special people. You know, it's like Tanner. Pretty amazing dude, huh? Yeah, he is. Same with your boy Chandler to go through those crazy experiences and see where they come out on the other side. Yeah, I think it's made him better. Yeah. I mean, I think Tanner's got a good life ahead of him. It's, it's finding Courtney. I don't know how he landed her. She's beautiful. Yeah. Because yeah. he's a rock star, dude. Yeah. He's and, a Godfrey. And Chandler got a beautiful woman in Caitlin, so. Yeah, that's cool. Um, here's a question for you. If you could have a conversation with God, what would you, uh, what, what's one or two things you would ask him? 
Well, right now? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's all we have is right now. So, yeah, how about right now? Um, I don't question anything except for I question question this divorce. That one I can't understand. And, you know, it's just done. Yeah. So I guess I just need to accept it. Yeah. I got a great woman, so that's one thing I'd ask him and how to how to be better at that. Yeah. I think the other thing I'd ask him is like, um, I would always I'd want to know like I'd be super curious of how much of he expects of us to be prepared and planned out in our life and how much how much he expects us just to roll with it. I think that's a mm-hmm. big that's a balancing question. act. For sure. What does he expect of us? <laughs> good question. What would be your what, what would be your question you'd ask? What would I ask God? That's a good question for me. What would I ask God? Um my biggest actually I do have a good question for that. So as we all go along life with all these different trials and tribulations, I want to know why we get so, um, uh, or why we have to suffer to learn, basically. Because as I've met with human beings over the last four or five years since I changed the way I look at you know, my perception of everything in the world, I see so many people struggling and why do so many people here on the planet have to struggle? And, uh, you know, like, what's, what's it all about? Which, which I get it, and I know it's, it's necessary, but it seems to me more people are stressed out and worried and confused and suffering. Uh, there's more stressed out people than there is happy people on the planet, and that confuses me, you know? So why do we have to come here and suffer? Because what I've realized is I don't know if I've ever met anybody yet that hasn't suffered here on this planet. Yeah, I think that's the purpose. You know what I mean? I think that's the purpose. So that's where I get a little confused is why sometimes does it got to be so difficult? Does It doesn't. Question. Yeah, it, it doesn't. We it, make it, it difficult. Yeah, it doesn't. You know, and it's like it's like the simple... Yeah. Real quick, I'll say this. It's, it's my the simple thing is like in this whole divorce thing or whatever's happened, there's always greater things ha- that happen because of it. And you would have never, like Chelsea, my new wife, is extraordinary. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I, I would have never experienced this if I didn't go through what I went through, right? Sure. So, yeah. Everything's a stepping stone to better, but we want to argue that it's not going to be better, right? We want You want the old comfortable sometimes not so wonderful <laughs> world yeah so that's suffering right because yeah. change is suffering sure well we think it is yeah it doesn't have to be change is usually really positive we fight it we fight it you're right <clears throat> what did would you want God to say to you when you arrive at the pearly gates well done well done good I like it um do you believe, obviously, you're LDS, right? So you believe in God, obviously. Do you believe that, that there really is a devil? Yes. 
you do mm-hmm. and why and who is that guy well and what's the reason that he exists if you believe that he exists I think there's got to be opposition in all things you know I do I think that's the everything that it's just like lifting a weight and I know this is really simple but it's like lifting a weight there's got to be resistance there has to be mm-hmm. the devil's resistance Satan's resistance and it's resistance to choose why, you know why do we why is there got to be good and bad you know it's like uh, it's like this experience with Chandler I asked myself at the time I mean it was seven years of heavy heavy guilt of you know and I got way into pain pills and different things because I was drowning my you know my shame and my all that guilt. stuff yeah guilt um, I think that uh, you know and this goes back to, to you know an LDS point of view but it's if you don't have if you don't have opposition there's there's absolutely it's almost fruitless to be here in this world this world is is everything's resistance and so you're you're tried and you're tested against the best of your ability and and i mean it's it's simple and to me it's just hard to do yeah. really hard to do hmm. so is uh do you think the devil's like a human being I don't know about that. I don't know about that. We bought, we bought this. We bought this old school over here in Draper, and um, you know, we, that thing was vacant for five years. And so we'd go in there. We'd take these clairvoyant people in there, and they would say the craziest things, like there's all these spirits running around because <laughs> there's a cemetery next door to it. And I don't really necessarily believe that's true, but I was in that thing alone a lot of nights, and there was some evil whatever that presence was that was in there so is that physical being or is that a being it's a something i felt it and i felt it in other places in my life and and you know my my uh, my ex-wife got like so weird and she was almost like she's freaking possessed by something in that school really i'm not blaming it on that but it's like there's there's so i i think i have I i think it's a being I don't think it's, I don't know if it's flesh and blood, but it's mm. a being. Mm. I've felt it. Yeah. Too, too real to not be something. Yeah. What do you think? Um, I don't think that the devil exists. Not yeah. You think it's just us? 100%. Yeah. I just think that's a story that the world's created to scare you into living righteously. I don't think it's necessary. Yeah. Well, I just, I've felt things before that yeah. I can't explain. But is that the devil, or are you just going into your into your fearful state of mind? I think fearful state of mind is definitely part of it, but there's yeah. times when I'm not in it, and I just feel this evil presence. So. Yeah. I know what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, and I don't know. I don't have all the answers. I'm just I saying I don't, do. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think anybody has them either. I just... I think there's opposition in all things, yeah. for sure. It makes sense. Yeah. We're here to be tried and tested. Yeah. I don't know what else the, the purpose of it would be, you know. 
purpose is to come here and find you. And everything's going to show up in your life to push you to that point. That's tried and tested, though. Yeah. Is that the devil or is it God? Probably a little of both. (laughs) (laughs) Probably a little of both, but it's a good question. It is a good question, isn't it? I'm going to start breaking out scriptures, give you references. Yeah. Wish you would. What about uh, one piece of advice? We're about ready to wrap up here. About one piece of advice that you would could install in a child or a human being, what would it be? I think, you know, when I was younger, my that if you would have asked me that question, it would have been to never have regrets and to never do things out of fear. Hmm. And as I get older, I think it is to... always always learn how to cope with a situation with love rather than hate Hmm. that's kind of my as as I get older that's what I try to do and when I talk to kids or talk to younger or talk whatever talk to anybody it's like they always seem to come out with a lot of freaking and I did I've done it too just hate and animosity and enmity and I think that you, no matter what, if you approach it with love, it goes away, and you approach it better. So it resolves a lot of conflict, and I think it helps you perform better. Yeah. it's good advice. Very sound advice. Um, anything else that uh, maybe I should have asked you today that I didn't or anything else? I think you share? asked me everything. I felt like I talked <laughs> and talked and talked. I think that, uh, yeah. I'm just, yeah, I, 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 uh, I just want anybody that is freaking struggling, reach out for help. You know, if you're listening to this podcast, especially if you've gotten to this point in this podcast, you're looking for something. So reach out. Yeah. Call cool. me, call Brandon, whatever. Absolutely. Don't be afraid to ask for help. No, right? we've all been there. We're all tough dudes, but the real tough dudes ask for help. They don't hide. I don't know. It was kind of hard to... Right? <laughs> it's kind of hard to ask for help. It's hard to put yourself out there. Especially when we have a persona, right? That we're fearless and daredevil and yeah. I can do this on my own. Sometimes another other human beings that have experienced similar events in life can uh, really be there to lift you up when you need them. Yeah. Right? They, they can see our blind spots, right? Absolutely. We can see each, we can see others much more clearly than than we see ourselves. Why is that? I don't so know. easy to 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 look at somebody and say, "Well, I see exactly what's going on." They're just like, "Yeah, you did that to me the other day." Yeah. So easy to see others clearly. It's because you're in it, you know. When you're in the middle of the storm, it's hard to see. But as an outsider looking in, it's all clear. Especially when you've been through a few things on this planet, you know. Shift your reality and your perception, how you see things. You know, the scary part about it is it's like giving into that mentality of just another little thing, a thought. But it's like the the scary, the thing, I don't know if it's scary, but the thing that's crazy is like, I used to hear people say all the time, the more I know, the more I realize I don't know. And the more you got to give into the mentality of like, it's, it'll show up, you know, and not stress about it. Like, Mm -hmm. 
Like, it is so out of our... Like, the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. I, I'm becoming that guy. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, like, I don't know. Yeah. Jack. Yeah. Byron Katie calls it, like, an unlearning. So you're pretty much going to... Everything you've learned up to being 50 years old, you realize isn't true, <laughs> which is hard for us to comprehend. But it's so true because you really can't know anything. But in knowing, knowing is stressful. That's why, I'm, you know, she's all about the unknown. You know, who would you be without your story? Who would, you know, well, you walk into any experience place. and you don't have an already presumed consumption of thought of what might take place. And like, who would you be? walking into an experience without any thought or any, you know, no future, no past, and, like, just walking into the unknown. It's heaven, but when you walk into it with stories, it, life's hard. But we really don't know anything. Everything we know is what we've been told from somebody that created the tree back in the day, and how do we know it's a tree, right? But yet the world says it's a tree, so it's a tree, but go sit with the tree, which I talk about a lot, what's really the tree all about? It's more than just a tree. I don't know. It, it, it is true, though. Like, I, because I was kind of a know-it-all, and a lot of friends, family members still think that I come across that way a bit, but it's sure nice to know that I don't know anything anymore either, although sometimes I may come across as knowing some things, but, man, when you don't know anything, it's it's just... Less stress, less pressure. It is. You know? Yeah. Less control is what it is. Trying to live up to some standard that's... Knowing is controlling. Well, you think it is. Yeah, yeah you think it is. Yeah. But when you can just, like, fly by the seat of your pants like you say you like to do, it's, I don't know, much better place to fly from. Well, I think, I think you're missing a lot if you don't. Yeah. Do you have any questions for me? Or what are you going to say? Oh, it's just like, what a boring life to just control all your situations. Yeah. But people are so comfortable when they're in control, but yet well, they they're think not. they're in control. Yeah, they're not in control, but they just think they are. Think about, like, I know that we're, this, this is like this philosophical thing, but it's like, think about, like, you think, you know, that that mountain's not going to fall on us today. Yeah. What if it did? Sure. If it does, it does. That's the way you've got to feel about control, it. Instead of yeah. like, oh, I've got everything planned out. I'm going to be here, there. I'm going to get my coffee. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. It's like da 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 da. And I think at the end of those days, it's like I see a lot of people. We, we bumped into one of my wife's friends last night that's like that. She's controlling everything, and she's ran everybody off in her life. You know? Mm. And I was super controlling. I was mean. And uh, I've ran everybody off in my life, so because <laughs> you part of it, yeah. We all learn, right? Midlife crisis, yeah. so we all go through this crazy. You know, somewhere we're out of tune in our middle ages. It seems seems like a lot of people in their mid forties, fifties, sometimes thirties. Some 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 people figured out young. I'm amazed to sit with some 20-year-olds that are pretty sharp, and I'm like, damn, how'd you figure this out already? You haven't even lived that long. Yeah, they figure it out, but then they typically yeah. there's just something in the chemistry that happens at a certain age. Like, I'm watching so many of my friends blow to pieces right now. It's this, yeah. a, it's this age. Yeah. And, you know, you, you hear it all the time. I watched, I watched our parents do it. I'm watching 
my own family do it. I'm watching, you know, like what what the hell? Do we think life's over at this age or something? I mean, I don't mm-hmm. I don't get or or you know what it is is everybody's like, oh, I've missed out on this or that. I can't live like this for another. Instead of like, I look at it as like, man, you've worked so hard, you know, to have this this life. Like, there's definite changes that need to take place, but you don't just throw it. You don't throw the baby out with bathwater, do you? Yeah, I don't know. That's what everybody does at this age. Some people do. Some people are confused. I don't know. I just think that you've lived a life out of like fear and maybe. Maybe lived a life of lies, you know what I mean? And eventually you got to square your soul up with your mind, you know? Because we're out there running ragged, right? Working eight to five, grinding our tails off to have a nice house and a nice car and to keep up with the Joneses. And is that really what we're here supposed to be doing? Eventually there's just a shift that takes place like, man, I can no longer live this lie. I got to be honest to me. I got to be honest to my friends, family, neighbors, coworkers, loved ones. And, I got to score myself up somehow because the first 40 years I thought I was doing it right, but took that 40, 45 years of living that crazy life to realize that that's it's not what you want. No longer working. It doesn't serve you, you know, once you, once you wake up. So. Well, but I, yeah. but I've also seen people wake up and, Tear their lives apart, and then in five years go, what the hell did I do? Yeah. Well, I don't know. There's balance. Sure. Just trying to find out truth, I think. So there are no mistakes? Oh, I would say no. <laughs> but I know you would say no. I would say there are. I would say no. I mean, I don't know. I've sat with so many people, Greg, that said that this is a problem, that's a problem, and I get done with an hour later, and they can't find a problem. So was it ever a mistake? I don't know. I think everything in this life uh, happens for you, like not to you, and I don't care what it is. I it's all for that. your personal growth and to find you become a better, kinder, more loving, compassionate human being. I think that's why we go through all the experiences, but mistakes, I don't know. I mean, I, I could have you write down all your mistakes and we could walk through every single one of them. And when we got done doing a worksheet on them, you'd be like, damn. You'd say, yeah. not one of these <laughs> is a mistake. Well, there's pain associated, so you think it's a mistake. Yeah. There's a lot of pain. It is. Yeah. But in the pain, right? The pain's necessary. You don't learn. Well, don't learn. Not a doubt. So, any questions for me? No. You're good? Okay, well, that'll wrap up. Uh, appreciate you taking the time today, brother. It's a long two hours of a little bit two of hours? bending. Yeah, two hours and ten minutes so far. Holy smokes. Greg's got some amazing stories. We could probably go another four, five, or six hours easily, but... Uh, <laughs> going to cut him short so that we don't uh, uh, make him miss his lunch today because I don't want to get him, make him ornery. Ornery. I got to run up. I got to run up to the diesel guys right today, right now. Cool. Talk to them. Pitch the diesel guys. Those are the dudes on the from Battleful, Utah. Yeah. What's the name of their show? Diesel Brothers. Diesel Brothers. Sparks and Diesel Dave and the Muscle and 
They're right good on. guys. They're really good guys. What is your connection with Red Bull today? What do you do with them still? Are you still films? Just film with them? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's like we we create content pieces, and they're basically like a producing partner. Yeah. So cool. they're they're awesome for me. You like working with them? Yeah. yeah. They're really good. Cool. They've been fantastic. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, thanks for sharing your journey with us, brother. I know it's hard to share. You shared some pretty intimate experiences. and I've never shared that in the public, so we'll see how that's... Yeah. So it was uh, very uh, courageous of you to show up and share. You know what's going out to the world, and uh, you're still willing to throw it all out there. That's what I like about you. Fearless dude. Hopefully it helps. Thank you. Thanks for sharing your story. Thanks for having me. You betcha. Um, So thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to the podcast and my amazing guest today, Greg Godfrey. Good friend, and uh, I'm sure I'll be spending a lot more time with this guy. Um, I really like hanging out with you, brother. You're a good man. Likewise. Yeah, it's been a good uh, new friend that I've met in the last couple of years that I'm sure will we will have a uh, a long lasting friendship because he's a good human being and I like hanging out with good people. So, anyways, you guys have any questions? Uh, you can contact me at uh, themindsgym at gmail dot com. And if you got anybody you'd like me to interview or 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 uh, uh, anybody you'd like to refer. Let me know, and again, please subscribe, leave some reviews. And as I always do, I'm going to leave you with one exercise um, on how to uh, challenge that mind of yours. So uh, after listening to Greg and his wonderful thoughts today, um, go do one thing this week that you absolutely love, and I don't care what it is, go do something to take care of you. And also, in... uh, the um, in the way that uh, I guess we'll send you out is go do one thing this week that scares you because that's what the Godfreys are all about. Be fearless. Thanks for listening, guys, and uh, and have a beautiful day. Peace out. Actually, peace in because that's where you'll find it. See you guys. <laughs>